Welcome to the Closer and Closer podcast, a podcast about expanding your creative capacity. Each week, we interview inspiring creatives to help you grow your freelance career. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Closer and Closer podcast. I'm Andrea Mejia Madriz, and I'm a part of the Artist Marketing and Partnerships team here at Closer and Closer. Here to run the show along with me today is the one and the only Dave Arcade. Thanks, Andrea. Hello, everybody. I'm Dave Arcade, and I am an artist on the Closer and Closer roster. But enough about me. Um, It's my pleasure to introduce a very good friend of mine, a dude that goes way back. We're starting to go way back, Nate and I. Um, to uh, about 2014, 2015, something like that. More on that later. Um, This artist hopes to make a positive impact through his ideas, art, art direction, and connection with people. He spent eight years of his career in Argentina as a freelance illustrator. Is that right? Eight years in art? Eight years is good. Ten years? Fourteen years. He spent 37 years (laughs) as an illustrator in in, uh, Russia, He worked with a variety of clients, including Coca-Cola, Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, Target, Pete's Coffee, New York Times, Converse Shoes, and more. And uh, he holds the title belt for the most creative mind I've ever encountered from Salt Lake City, Utah, Nate Williams. Welcome, dude. Welcome. Thank you very much. What a title. (laughs) I need like clapping. I know. I wish we had a soundboard. Uh Uh-huh. We need to get a soundboard. That'll be my next ask for, for the marketing budget. And then just put the forward address to my house. Perfect. Yeah, you need to be in control. I think. You yeah. Understand. Well, I'm a control freak. Anyway, <laughs> Nate. Hi. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Okay. I hadn't planned on asking you this, but I didn't know that you lived in Argentina for for eight years. What was what was that stint about? Thirty seven years. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yes. So um, yeah. So actually, I moved to Argentina in two thousand three. I was originally looking for like a, a language course. My intent was to go there for three months mm-hmm. and uh, I ended up staying there 10 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> but um, how did I end up in Argentina? Really? I, I just started traveling around. I went to Spain and I met some really cool people and I asked them where they were from and they said, Argentina. I was like, okay. And then I went to Costa Rica and I met some really cool people and they happen to be from Argentina as well. So I had a <laughs> impression of Argentina like this really fun fun people kind of like Australians mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah so when I was looking for kind of a cheap language school um, Argentina had just gone through like a financial crisis so it was very affordable to live there so ended up going down there really loved it um, and uh, yeah I just stayed a long time the rest is history that's amazing yeah, yeah. awesome yeah. well Aside from that, for other listeners that don't know you or aren't familiar with your work, can you give us just a little rundown of what you do and and what your work is all about? Yeah, so I, I think um, originally my work kind of came out of a response to my working environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I at Microsoft for Microsoft Xbox as an art director, and uh, they basically they work on all this high, super high-fidelity 3D rendered type of art. Um, and I worked with marketers, so we were always doing everything very strategically. Like, you know, this was a response. We had some, some plan to execute on. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that was fun for a long time, but after a while I, I kind of created, uh, created the exact opposite. I wanted to do stuff that was a lot more spontaneous 
And I didn't want to have a plan for everything. I kind of wanted uh, more of kind of a, um, a way to kind of play and discover and try new things and not just execute. You know? mm-hmm. um, so, so like the, my approach from, from there was very different how I worked in my personal artwork. And then also stylistically, I wanted to do stuff that was very kind of, um, kind of analog because I was on the computer all day. So basically how it started was I, I got off of work and then I go play on coffee machines and make this, you know, kind of rudimentary, like super crude kind of punk poster kind of feeling art, you know? Yeah. And I'm inspired by, I think like, I grew up in uh, part of my life in California. So I was in, in, inspired uh, from the Mexican culture mm-hmm. and being a skateboarder, you know, kind of punk, punk kind of aesthetic and skateboard graphic, something like that. And that's kind of where it was born out of. And I didn't really even consider myself like an illustrator or an artist. It was just basically, I, w- I did something in my free time. So uh, my project that I created was actually a zine um, called Ola Amiga. And um, the idea was input output. So basically I subconsciously absorb a bunch of stuff and this is the stuff I create. Mm-hmm. And I have no, I like, I, I didn't try to explain or anything. I just like, it is what it is. Um, and I, like, like I said, I didn't really consider myself an artist. So I, I didn't even sign my name. I would like, if uh, I went with my dog, Oscar, I would say, you know, this, basically this issue is about Oscar because we went to all these places and that's what influenced me. So I'd the zine was by Oscar one month. Another month it was by an ambulance because I saw some like <laughs> wreck or something. And b- about the fourth zine is when I actually started signing my name because I felt like I had enough body of work that's like, yeah, I guess I do make this stuff, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so I like there's so much there. This is why I love listening to Nate because um, if you noticed, he was like, I, you know, I just absorbed all this stuff subconsciously and then that that became my art. He always has like a uh, some sort of like device or method that he just kind of turns that switch on. Just like, tink, this is kind of what I'm doing, and then he he sticks to it. Like, and and then art comes from it. Whereas a lot of other artists tend to like uh, question what they're doing throughout the mm-hmm. process, and they start to cater to like what people want. I just have missed <sighs> listening to Nate. That's all. That's yeah. all I'm saying. It's been a Not long time. <laughs> it seems really organic as well because one of my one of the questions that I had for you was kind of you know again like you have a super recognizable style um and a lot of people are kind of looking to have that same thing you know to just have a thing that they they do and they do really well um but it seems like for you it just came super organically and you didn't I don't know did you ever have to struggle with like being uncertain of your voice or how kind of finding that or did it always come super organically like you just described yeah, so I, I think, well, thank you, first of all. Um, I, I think people are a lot more brand savvy now than when I started out. You know, like mm-hmm. most of what branding is and identity is and kind of the value of it now. In 2000, it wasn't as prevalent. And I think with the event of social media and stuff like that, people actually started thinking about how they're perceived more so than they ever had in the past, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't, I, I understood the benefits of um, a style. And I think that's because I work as an art director for a long time. Like if I hire someone, I want to know kind of what I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. Like I want a variable, like, like I hire Metallica and then all of a sudden they're playing like Bolivian music. <laughs> Wait a second, you know? um, so, so I, I understood like as an artist, it's very good to be somewhat predictable in the sense that I kind of get a, I know what I'm going to get. You're, I'm basically running a filter or I'm choosing a font or I'm kind of choosing a voice. Right. 
Um, however, I think when you work um, on the other side, if you're a designer and art director, versatility is key. You really want to adapt. So it's kind of like polar opposites of the spectrum, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I never really tried to get a style. Even though I understood its value, I think anyone can get a style. All, all I think a style is, is someone who spends enough time making art. Because mm-hmm. when they very first start off, they might talk someone. Like I, I was maybe influenced by um, Gary Baseman or certain people early on. But th- you're going to run out of their references at some point. Like you, you know how they draw a car, you know how they draw a house. And all of a sudden you have to draw a factory or you have to draw, you know, and you're like, I don't know how they draw deer. And that's when your voice really starts coming out. So I think spending time with yourself is really when your voice, you know, so I think anyone that has like a very recognizable style is someone who just spent time with themselves and kept on trying different subject matter, you know, and it's really just how they think more so than anything. Yeah. And I really, I really appreciate that ideology because again, going back to what you said towards the beginning is like back in 2000, you didn't have to think about not every single person was thinking about what their branding is or what their style is. It wasn't this like super tangible, like I I have to figure this out if I want to be an artist type of situation that it is now. So I think just continuing with that approach of like allowing it to come organically and allowing it to evolve as you create your work is so valuable and not feeling like you have to have the answer right away. Hot take corner. I think you mentioned, (laughs) what did you say, Dave? I was going to say hot take corner from Dave real quick. I, I actually think social media has caused the um, slowly, it's slowly choking style because everybody sees everybody's work and then they're like, oh, I like that. I'm going to adopt that. Um, it was much better when we couldn't see each other's work. Wait, we listen to here. Well, I, I think also, I think there's a couple of things. So I think, um, um, Andrea, you mentioned which thing is evolving. So your style evolves as well. Like you might think like I'm relevant now. Am I going to be relevant in 10 or 15 years, you know? And that's like a question, if, especially if that's how you make a living. And what what one thing that I failed to calculate is that you evolve with the times as well. I thought like you kind of discover your style, your voice, and then time passes and it you don't move on. But I think if I look at some of my work early on and now it looks very different, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just evolving as well. And I think to your point, Dave, I totally agree. Like, I think, um, I think you have to be very confident in what you do because it's, it's very easy to get sucked into that affirmation loop of, Oh, people respond to this. I'll do more of this. Yep. Artist, you don't, you don't become an artist to be safe and just be in a box. You know, I think if you do that, that, that's, that's unfortunate. You won't be an Um, artist for long. Yeah, I, I think I think artists are, are someone who's at their top of their game and they're successful and they still say, fuck it, I'm going to try something different. You know, I know this is everyone likes, but I want to do this. And if you think about kind of musical artists or any artist, they do that. They actually take something that everyone values and they throw it away because they want to move on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. It's, it's social media is very kind of a double-edged sword where it's it's great for kind of sharing, but at the same time, you don't want to be influenced by all that affirmation, you know? The affirmation loop, dude. Like I haven't heard that term before, but that's totally what it is. And you know, like it works for some people. I, I follow artists who I I'm not gonna name any names. Um, but uh <laughs> whenever you say that, it's so like it sounds this person's a child molester. I I don't mean it like that. <laughs> it, it's it's just like you you know that they they feed off of it and but yeah. it produces great work. I mean, that's that's what a performer does too. Like there's I guess 
that that's an aspect that we need to appreciate about social media is that it has given um, people a space to uh, kind of, you know, perform like, here's my work, like, here's my pirouette in the form yeah. of this drawing. And we didn't uh-huh. have that before. And it's kind of cool. But yeah. It, and it's, 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 it, it, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dave. I just have its negative effects, but go ahead. No, yeah, and I, I think, I mean, everyone has to discover their relationship with social media, you know? So, yeah. like, a, a large Instagram account, and I, I started feeling like I'm kind of catering to my Instagram, deleted it impulsively. I'm like, screw this. I remember that. That's crazy. I don't have to answer to anybody. And then, like, a year or two later, I'm like, you know what? That was actually pretty useful. I should probably <laughs> did it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, think, I think, you know, I, I just didn't want to be, like, influenced in that way. And I felt like I was, you know, so. Yeah, no, I, I remember you did that and you had like tens of thousands of followers and now it's like getting back. You're going to, you're about to lap me again. So <laughs> I deleted it, gave you a chance to catch up. I'm going to pass you. Um, no, it's, uh, this is all good stuff. Um, so that we're not doing this for three hours because we could, Nate, we could talk for three hours, dude. But, I know. I feel um, like I just want to catch up with you in general. Opposed. <laughs> I know. That's that's why we're. That's why I'm serious. We're going to hang out. This is on you now. I've been trying to get yeah. you to hang out for so long. You always say no. I'm kidding. I just need to find your. I need to find your house address, and then I can just like randomly just show up. Dude, I I tell my friends to do that. I'm like, if you want to hang out, come over. Because I'll yeah. like, yeah, I'll give you my address. It's honestly the best way to get a hold of me. And I have friends who do it, and they stop by, and I love it. Um. So okay, that. What was I going to, okay. You can't get me off topic. It's like trying to get a Mack truck back on the road, but you have to like push it a mile. Um, <laughs> so this kind of a, a, a weird thing to talk about in the context of a freelance life, but it's sort of where you and I became friends, which was the collaboration. Like I, I kind of didn't know who you were. You show up at struck one day, which is the old advertising agency that um, Nate and I used to work, work at back in like two, I think it was like 2015 to 2025. I can't remember the dates, um, but uh, uh, I, I was kind of intimidated by you because, you know, in meetings you had all these great ideas off the top of your head. And I was like, well, who the hell is this guy? All these fantastic ideas. So I tried to impress you with like little drawings and stuff. And like, hmm. I remember I drew a light, like a lightning bolt made of skin. And you're like, hmm. And you like walked out of the room and I was like, gosh, dang it. Um, Got it. Yeah, I don't think so, but <laughs> well, it was. I, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it happened, Nate. Um, uh, but I remember sitting down with you, and when we started to, uh, we were concepting the the Nickelodeon building in the early days, and just had all of these ideas. And it was the first time in my career that, like, I felt like that Keith Richards, Mick Jagger, or whoever you want to, you know. Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, just like, wow, like we're really riffing off each other. So collaboration with you was one of my first experiences in the industry where I like kind of felt fulfilled by it and not, not trampled by it. Um, how, this is a really long question, but <laughs> what, what do you think the value is or, or uh, how can a freelancer take advantage of, um, of collaboration when we're just these lone wolves making work in our office offices. And do you think it's important? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, I, I think you're like referring to kind of like the gestalt effect of us coming together. We have better ideas than any of us can have on our own, you know? Yep. And I think we probably had that with a lot of Nickelodeon because I think it's almost like in faces in the clouds. Like you say something 
I say something, you misinterpret what I say, but it's better than what I said anyway. So then we're getting that, you know? Um, yeah, and, and I think every every freelancer really struggles with that because it's a pretty lonely job, you know? And I, I think, like, not so much here, um, just because I my, I don't have as much time as I did in Argentina, but in Argentina, I just had groups of friends that were not half of them, most of them, I think all of them, were illustrators, you know? It's just people that you can run ideas on, Um but I, I think it's it's more of a it's more of just like a friendship I think that you need to have is people that you get together with regularly that sometimes you talk about art sometimes you talk about a book sometimes you talk about something political and it's just a kind of way to kind of like chew chew gum with your brain you know you're kind of constantly just <laughs> these things you know yeah um, but yeah I, I mean it, it's really hard to say because I, I think there's a there, like with freelance there's a kind of an ownership like you have a project you own this and that's what it is you know. When you're working like an agency environment, it's more like we're trying to produce the best idea for the client. It doesn't really matter how we get there, you know? So it is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but. I, yeah, it, it is. Um, I'm just finding these days that like I, I get lonely and I get down and then I talk to somebody and that goes away. And I've been ignoring that for months now. And recently I'm like, oh, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people need people. Um, and so I, I, I totally I, have that. Ex- Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, if uh, if you're a freelancer out there and you're feeling sad, I think like like you said, calling up a buddy, like let's freaking just get together and talk or let's work on something together. I think it's necessary at, at some level, even if it is just hanging out and chatting. Okay, go, go yeah, for it. And I, I think it's a lot easier too if you just have a set, like let's do it every other Friday. Let's do it once a month. Whatever that set schedule is, is a lot easier because when you have to make time for something, it, it never, never happens. But if you just yeah. kind of know, First Friday of every month, it happens, it happens, you know? That's what we're going to do. You want to do the first Friday of every month? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm serious. Yeah, me too. I need Nate out. Williams back in my life. I'm not kidding, dude. It's ridiculous. I, I think this is a, what, what date are we on? Is this the first Friday or do we already pass it? It is January 4th. Uh, yes. Okay, so our, our very first one will be next month on the 5th. Boom. All right. Yeah, I'm going to put it in my, my phone calendar before you do. <laughs> Sweet. Um, so uh, you're you're an inspired and inspiring dude. Um, you kind of introduced me to this notion of play, and I, I didn't quite know like what you meant. And then you started to put it in like these other words, like curiosity and discovery. And like for those of you who don't know, like Nate makes all kinds of stuff. He doesn't just draw. He he made an app that can determine your mood based on like all of these answers that you input into it. Um, and it, it like, it, you, you could explain it better, Nate, but it also like finds patterns. And then he has methods for coming up with ideas, like really good ones. Um, and so there's like this technology side to your, to your brain. And w- when I saw like you had a website that uh, where you'd promote other illustrators, uh, what was it called? Uh, illustration. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, and and these challenges you throw out to the community, like, hey, draw an A, and then all you did all these submissions of the letter A and all these different forms, and that that's you know when I started picking up on it, like what that means. But from you, like, how how would you explain this notion of play to to illustrators, creative minds, as something that's advantageous? Yeah, and so I think this really kind of stems from me being dyslexic, you know. And I think a lot of stuff in our in our society, we value kind of 
I do this and what do I get in return? It's a very kind of direct linear process. Like I do this and this is what I get out of it, you know? But I, I think a lot of the best ideas come by accident. It's just someone who's open to, to knowing an idea is out there, you know? So mm-hmm. if you like uh, and uh, companies like, so Google, I know like half of their products are discovered kind of by play and accidents, you know, like Gmail, Google mm-hmm. Reader, these different things is more what people do in their spare time opposed to saying, we need these specific things, you know? So I think there's, there's value in just kind of playing around and, and kind of really exploring an idea or a concept um, without having a, 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 like a specific intent. You know, I think it's, it can be costly. And I think that's why it's really encouraged in a lot of these kind of professional environments, but as a person, you can do it, you know? And I think the other, other thing is that you have to be open to changing course, you know? So like, I know like, Levi's, for example, they went down and they were going to basically aid people during the gold rush. And they're like, all these people will need tents. We're going to bring these tents. And they went down, you know, to, to California and they, with the intent of selling tents. But what they realized is more people wanted their pants. Like you, this is really strong. Can you make, can you make pants, <laughs> you know, so basically make pants out of your tent material and, and become open. And they's like, well, that's what people want, you know? I think they had success, you know? So I, I think that's another thing is that like, kind of like my MO is curiosity, play and discovery. And so curiosity is basically, it's just good to be curious. You'll start asking questions um, and will will lead you to kind of discoveries and, and, um, and things like that. And then play is kind of like, uh, you have a question, you play around and you really know the answer, but during that, you, you discover a lot of things because you're pitching all these kind of possibilities, you know, and the discovery is kind of like, great. I understand how it works. Now I can repeat it, you know, but I, I, I think out of that process, I think the, my, I, what I'm most curious or uh, interested in is curiosity and play, you know, and the yeah. discoveries of byproduct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's, uh, I, I love the way you put that because like, if you, if you start something without, like that, that uh, foundation of play, it's hard to change course. And I have this problem. Like I'll, I'll be making something. I, I'm having this problem right now with a personal project. I know I should change the idea. Like I already know it, but I don't want to, you know? And it's because I, I was, I set out to do this thing, but it changed. It freaking changed. Like me saying it out loud is really helping me right now. And, and I need to, so so if I set out like with an open mind with my own work, I wouldn't have such a like a boxing match all the time. Mm-hmm. And when I'm cool with just like uh, exploration and curiosity, it's easy to change course. But it, it's almost the mindset, like what you're describing, like a play mindset, so that you don't ever hit those walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of times you start with an intent, but something a lot better comes after that. After a few you know, you, you might say, I'm going to make this website that does this thing. And then you realize, I think that's how Slack started. Like, I think, I can't remember which company it was, but originally they were just going to like, we just want to do chat for games. Hmm. They realized chat was better than a game, you know? So I, one of the main things is just start and then be open along the way, you know? Yeah. And I think so. It's something that's really interesting to me when, when you're just hearing you talk about this is that so much of it is a cultural thing as well. And I think, you know, just having lived and like traveled and seen all these other cultures, like it's really common in other cultures to have like, my mom and I talk about this all the time because we're actually from Costa Rica and 
a lot of people there, it's like you have your job, but then you have like the thing that you do outside of your job and you like introduce yourself as that. So you'll be like, oh, I'm an artist, even if you're like, you know, a CPA and you just do art on the side. And in the US, it's not really as encouraged, but especially like if you are in a creative field, it's so helpful to have those outlets outside of like the direct scope of what you do for money that you can tinker around in because all of that kind of informs what you're then going to do in your work. Like you can take, you know, that website that you built and the things that you learned from that and the things you discovered there and apply it to what you're actually, you know, what your work actually is. Totally. I think you bring up a good point, like just cultural differences. And I think that really, I I, I learned more about the U S by living in Argentina than I Mm -hmm. did the U S you know, like one thing um, is what you said in in the U S U S we value productivity we our, our identity is basically our job and outside of the u.s that's not the case mm-hmm. however outside of the u.s people don't have the same opportunities um and 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 um it's just not it's just not part of part of the conversation as much mm-hmm. you know and and one thing i i realized is like outside of the u.s um because there's a lot less uh less resources a lot of times they'll use something that's not in for its intended purpose and then you just start really thinking a lot more creatively, you know, like mm-hmm. I remember this desk flipped upside down with a motor and you can literally sell that as a boat. And then they're like, that's a table. And like, why is it not a boat? It goes, it floats. It is a boat, you know, totally. when you're outside of the, the country, you really, you, you know, you just think more broadly for a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish I knew what you guys are talking about, but I've been as far <laughs> south as I've been to Mexico, um, but it was like for three hours. And, uh, and then I've been as far east as like, I don't know, the Midwest <laughs> and yeah. I've been to California. I think it's just being aware that like, there's other ways to do things other than how, you know, maybe culturally we're taught to do it. And like this idea of play is so valuable because it's not something that really is talked about all the time or like that many people value in our society, but it's, so helpful and like so useful to have that that skill because it really is a skill yeah not everyone can do it yeah you got to have an elastic mind and you got to be able to like push your mind around and have fun with it and slap it and kick it in the stomach and (laughs) throw put frosting on it and you know like what like really abuse it in the best possible way be free (laughs) with it you know but it's tough to get there like you know it's really easy to get stuck in the the four walls of your brain and stay mm-hmm. there and get isolated and paralyzed by fear and anxiety and insecurity and darkness and drugs <laughs> and mayhem. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I have, I have a question that is maybe it's kind of a boring one. I'd rather ask you the next question, but I'll get back to it. If, uh, if we have time. So you have this fascinating way of coming up with ideas. I don't know if you still use it or if it's evolved or, um, um, if it's going to be the same one I'm thinking of that you're going to explain, but could you just kind of share with us like uh, some methods that you have for coming up with ideas? Yeah. So I don't really use my methods much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think, I think actually, so I, I, I used to give talks quite a bit and a lot of university students or just, just students, like that was some, some of their blockers, you know, and I think everyone else has, has different blockers, you know, like, I, I'm dyslexic and I can barely write a coherent email. That's, that's the problem, you know. Where other people have I'm a hard laughing, time. Coming, sorry. <laughs> other people have a hard time coming up with ideas. So I started. I started kind of just thinking of like how. What is kind of a frame 
work if you can't come up with an idea what 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 can you possibly do you know and I don't even remember what they are now but um I, I basically had different things about changing your environment there's like kind of this framework of ways you could kind of get ideas started you know association um, environment I yeah, remember there, yeah there's a lot of things but um I, I think like most of I think I think my best ideas come from just kind of like you're walking around and you're complaining and you're like, actually, that's a product idea. <laughs> you know, I, I should make that. Yeah. Or, or you think this is taking too much time. Why don't we do this? You know, and that's where a lot of ideas come from. Or you misinterpret something, you know, um, and then you're, you realize it's a unique idea in itself because what you thought was an idea is not the idea you were talking about. Um, so I, I think like some of the best ideas are kind of come from this place of just their kind of these spontaneous moments, you know, and I think, um, I think changing your environment is one of the, the top ones. So for example, when I lived in Argentina and I would have to come up with an idea for projects, a lot of times I would just get on a bus, a random bus. I didn't even know where it's going to go. And I sketch on it and I saw stuff out the window. I just make different analogies for it. And then I'd randomly get off at some part of town and try to figure out how to get home. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, but I could actually follow up because I have written articles about it and I could send you those. So yeah, maybe if listeners actually want to try that, we could. It, it's funny. I, I don't use any of my methods either. If I come up with something, you know, when you come up with like a technique for, for yeah. anything and you write it down, you're like, this is going to be really useful. And then you don't use it at all yeah. because it's just not part of your process. Totally. Um, but I, I remember like when you shared, I, I don't know if you, you might've had, had it in digital form because you had pictures and you're like, okay, you can take a wheel and it's mm-hmm. round and then you yep. can combine it with like something that fits the shape, like a frying, but like it was like yeah. association or change the environment or change the context of something. Yeah. And I yeah. remember like looking at this and like, dude, this is like an actual framework for coming up with ideas. And it's hilarious that you don't use it because it's gold. <laughs> but you don't need yeah. it right Somebody yeah else i know what it. you're talking about um yeah i mean i think everyone has like th- th- different things that work for them you know and i think i i like i like to look at like advertising ideas or anything that inspires me and say i know what you're talking about now yeah, yep. it was a web page i can't remember what it was called now um but basically i put ideas into different categories and i say this basically applies to this this applies to that so you think of kind of the category. So it's kind of the, the giving a person a fishing pole versus a fish. Like, don't just look at this idea. Look at kind of the, the like, it would be like a writing trope, the trope behind it. It's an approach to something, you know? So one was like juxtaposition. Another was using something for not its intended purpose. Another, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, right. but I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, again, one of the things that I was like, well, cool, Nate, why don't you just make something else that's really awesome? <laughs> you already made an app and you make this cool picture. Like I, this, sorry, I'm giving you so many compliments. Listeners are going to this, this guy, owe this dude money. I was looking at a communication arts in uh, this one day and, you know, I get to the, the, I think it was an illustration annual and I get to like a Nate Williams piece that was, I think it was for a, like an album or something. You know, it's sitting here in, in communication arts and the dude's in the next room. And so I, I went up to him and I was like, did you know that you're in like the latest issue of Com Arts? And you're like, no, let me see that. And you're like, it's like, oh, my agent must have put this in here. And you're like, huh. And he like handed it back to me. And I was like, dude, you're in Com Arts. <laughs> Just uh, one of the things that endeared me to you. I was like, okay, cool. This guy's awesome. That's funny. Yeah. It I- is funny. 
I, I think we remember different stuff. I have a bunch of stuff I remember about you. And so you're, you're like, I'm like, did this happen? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, well, it's like a married couple, right? Like yeah. I, I was, uh, there, there's this moment before I married my wife, you know, well, not a moment before we got married. It was years before we got married, <laughs> but this moment we were standing on a cliff in San Diego at night near the ocean, full moon, wave comes up, crashes against the cliff. We feel the spray. We're holding each other. She doesn't remember it at all. <laughs> <laughs> when I was dating in Argentina, I like uh, went to a place with someone and then I had thought that I had gone to that place with my wife, you know? So <laughs> this is after, after this is different points. I was like, oh, we should go there again. That was awesome. And she's like, I've never been there. I was just kidding. It looks good though, right? (laughs) Weird. We should go there. That's when you you convince them that they don't know. You're like, no, we've been there. Again, your memory is super spotty and then they get this insecurity for the rest of their lives for something that's not real. Okay. Well, I'm going to backtrack and go back to one of the questions that Dave didn't ask you that I am interested in because as you know, I don't know if you do know this, but I am not an artist and I do not create art. I am a marketing person. Um, and I'm really curious. The art of to... marketing. Give yourself some okay. credit. Yeah, but no. <laughs> um, I'm really curious as to how you find the opportunity to prioritize play as you do when you are a commercial artist with clients who like have feedback and needs and they're, you know, reaching out to you and all that. Because I know that's probably something that some listeners, you know, that maybe don't prioritize play like you do struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, for me, it's, it's almost not a conscious decision. It's something I kind of do. And then I justify it with logic afterwards. I feel like <laughs> I, I literally have to, every month I have to decide what I'm not doing. Like I want to do, <laughs> I learned that and I want to write an app and I want to, you know, write a police car and I want to do this. And I have to go through my list and stuff like you don't have time for this, you know? Um, <laughs> But I, I feel like you make time for the things you care about, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just like I find myself drawing. Like I always have time to wake up at five in the morning, go to a coffee shop and draw stuff, you know, where I might not have time to like cut my grass, you know, so <laughs> you, you find times for those things. Um, and also, I think just like my my style is pretty fast, like it's very kind of impulsive and fast. And so mm-hmm. it's like I'm a like a, a oil painter or something, you know, so. I can literally have an idea, sit down and be done with it like an hour and a half later, you know? So if style, for example, very, but like everything is like a thought, you know, like, Oh, I never thought of that. A bear, a bear rug. That's a robot, you know, like every single thing is like a discovery. So yeah, totally. And I think that there's ways to kind of interweave that into whatever your style is or like whatever, you know, whatever amount of time that you have, like you said, it really is just about prioritization and making sure that you're, you're intentionally putting in, putting play into the things that you're doing. Um, totally. And, and the cool thing about an artist is that, that, that there's no right, wrong answer. Like whatever mm-hmm. you do is the right answer. Like as a designer, I would say maybe like 70% of my clients are happy as a, as an illustrator, 95, you know, when I get a talk, it's my perspective. So it can't be wrong. And so I think, uh, within that illustrator's world, it's just their world. So that like everything about it is like, if they're into typography, they incorporate typography. If they're into a subject matter, they do that. So everything basically kind of is part of their personality. So it's very authentic and easy to do, you know? Mm-hmm. 
That's a good point, dude. I I, I uh, graduated with a degree in design, and it's it's funny looking back, like you present a design to a client and you'll have all sorts of pushback, but you present an illustration. They're like, thank you. Yeah, yeah totally. Of that. Yeah. yeah. There's uh, two different languages and it, it's almost like uh, design is stupid. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Designers. <laughs> I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. Awesome. Well, this has been lovely and I feel like I've gotten to know you so much better um, if also, if anybody doesn't know, this is the first time Nate and I have met face to face. So it's been so cool to hear you talk about just kind of like your process and how you incorporate this ethos into your work. I, I guess, I don't know. That sounded really fancy. Um, but I, it. yeah, it really is an ethos. And I think, you know, the main thing that I think people should take out of this episode is just, you know, play is something that's really important and you can weave it into what you do any way that fits you and it's going to help you. So like any way that you can kind of weave it in or, or tinker a little bit more, do something that you are interested in. It's going to be helpful to you, even if it doesn't immediately seem that way. Yeah. I think every, everyone brings something unique. Like maybe they don't, I mean, everyone has some, a unique recipe in their life. Like their grandma was the first fighter pilot. And there's so many things that you can incorporate into your stuff. That's only unique to you, you know? So I think part of it's just being honest with yourself, trying stuff, incorporating stuff, you know? I love it. Yeah. Awesome. But again, I also want to say, I don't think you ever get to the point where you figure things out. Like I seriously, stuff I say five years ago, I'm like, I made a lot more sense then than I do now. (laughs) Or, you know what I mean? So it's not like you're on this upward trajectory always, you know? I think a lot of times you kind of are lost again and then you're, you kind of feel good again and then you're lost again. And so... Yeah, that's, I can't tell you how true that is. I'm I'm in, I, I'm in a lost phase right now. I seriously think I I got I found my footing last night. Like I felt like Rocky and Rocky too, as opposed to like after he lost the Clubber Lang. Um, is anyone going to get that that reference? Does, does nobody watch Rocky movies anymore from your generation, Andrea? I have never, but I think people do. What the I don't hell? know. I tend to be very like culturally lost in, when it comes to film. So don't take my word for it. Yeah. I wouldn't put Rocky movies in the category of film, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> anyway, no, like it, it's just so true. Like you never, you, you never figure everything out. And if you're trying to figure everything out, stop and uh, just get taken by the, the, uh, the riptide, like the rest of us. Yeah. That's great advice. And now my last question for you, Nate, before we wrap things up is just, where can people find you and your work? Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, the easiest way to find me is at n8w.com. Um, and then, yeah, on social media as well. But I, I think I'd start with n8w.com. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nate. It was so great to have you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And and I heard the, the cut, dude, when you said it. You you make time for things you care about. I heard you. I get it, man. I haven't made time for I haven't made time for my family either, though, so it's fine. And with that, we will bring this episode to a close. Thanks for tuning in to the Closer and Closer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to receive the latest episodes. 
You don't want to miss some of the incredible conversations that we have coming up. They'll be full of powerful insight to help you reach your full creative potential. To find out more about us, visit www.closerandcloser.co.